Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Her Health, the show that reprioritizes your to-do list and puts your health first. I'm your host, Mary Arnoff from Providence. This season, we're talking about why midlife health matters. Because beginning at the age of 35, women face increased risk for many conditions, and it's so important to know what to watch for and to get your recommended screening. Our goal is to help women make informed healthcare choices for themselves. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, and here with me today is Dr. Robin Henderson, the Chief Executive of the Behavioral Health for Providence, Oregon. She's also the Clinical Liaison for Wellbeing Trust. And today we're answering your questions about women's body image and eating disorders. And also, for anyone listening in need of support or resources, please contact the National Eating Disorders Helpline at 1-800-931-2237. That's 1-800-931-2237. Two two three seven. Okay, let's get started by welcoming our expert today, Dr. Robin Henderson, or Doc Rob, as I like to call you. <laughs> you are no stranger to Dash Radio. You've done many of our shows on many of our different stations. In fact, you've even met with with DJ Ski on a couple of his his shows. But for those who haven't maybe heard you before, tell us a little bit about your role and the work you do. So, thank you, Mary, for welcoming me to the show today. I'm very excited to be here to talk about behavioral health, emotional well-being, and things that are very passionate to me. I came to Providence St. Joseph Health just for that reason. I wanted to bring a a holistic, whole body perspective that the mind, the body, and the spirit are all interconnected. And that quite frankly, our mind and our body are connected by more than just our neck. (laughs) Very true. So we have to start thinking about how our emotions, our mental health, and our well-being can impact all aspects of healthcare. And that's where Providence St. Joseph Health want to go. So that's what brought me here. I love it. Well, as we look at our topic today on women's body image, what is body image and why is healthy body image important? Women's body image has really transformed over the years. If you look back in time, even 50 years ago, when you look at the Marilyn Monroe's and the Jane Mansfields, who were icons of their time, in today's world, they would be seen as very large women. Plus size. Plus size. Plus size. Absolutely. And so it really kind of changes with the culture, changes with the time. We can look at, you know, there's been a number of retrospectives done when you went into the 60s and you had the the Twiggies in the Mm -hmm. 70s and you had uh, the Jane Fonda's or I guess that was the 80s. But still, the idea being our body images change over time. But what's happening for us right now in the body image is it's really more and more and more in our face every day. We used to see body image when we went to the grocery store and we'd see it on, you know, Cosmopolitan and Vogue and all of the magazines. And there was a place where you could kind of step away and get away from that. You might see it on television when you were watching shows that featured, you know, pretty women or the early starting days of of different types of uh, what used to be the pageants and contests and things like that. Right. Um, But nowadays with social media, it's in your face every single day. And for women, that becomes a particularly destructive destructive path. We have a, a very large diet culture in our country. Yes, we do. Every time you look at ads, you're seeing diets, you know, late night TV, take this pill, drink this thing. You know, every time you flip on an ad or, or look at something, if I eat this food 12 times, it's going to reduce <laughs> my belly fat. All of those messages send the same message, basically that belly fat, curves, all those other types of things that make us people, that make us human, are bad. And that's really where the core of body image comes. Because when we start to define ourselves by what our body looks like, as opposed to what our whole person is, 
that's really where we start to get into real psychological harm and trouble. So we're, we're defining ourselves by how we look, yes. not necessarily everything that we've done in life or our education or our jobs or what we've done with our families, but how we look. Exactly. And it's not even necessarily by how healthy we are. Let's remember, just because you're thin doesn't mean you're healthy. Very true. And just because you're overweight in, in, in terms of the BMI mm -hmm. index does not make you fat or unhealthy. Exactly. I happen to be somebody who's a little more on the fluffy side of life. And I'll bet you that my cholesterol, my uh, diabetes numbers, my all of my numbers, I can probably rock most of the people in the house. Yeah. Because really, from a physical standpoint, I'm a very healthy person. I eat a very healthy diet. But when you look at me in comparison to what the world says we should look like in terms of a body image, I'm not that type of a body image. I'm, I'm not very tall. And being not very tall results in a lot of other things. But my point in all of this is body image has become something that's really toxic in our culture. And it's now starting to become intergenerational. Oh, very true. Well, for those listening, I can attest that Doc Rob is very fit because half the time I call her to discuss things, she's on a walk or she's riding her bike or she's doing her rowing machine. So she does, she does work out, that is for sure. I do think the intergenerational thing is very interesting, though, because I think that could be interpreted different ways. What do you mean by intergenerational? Is it daughter to or mother to daughter, grandmother? Is it, how does that work? Uh, right now, it could be grandmother to mother to daughter. It could be grandmother to daughter. It could be mother to son. Mm -hmm. We see it a lot in terms of what are we making for dinner? How do we eat? What do we, you know, when you come home, well, hey, you know, are you having this snack? Or are you having this snack? You better eat something healthy. Don't, don't take that second piece of pizza. You know where that's going to end up. And it impacts our, our dinner table. Yes. But kids are always watching. They see how we eat as parents. So it may be that we allow our kids to eat, you know, very rich and varied diet. But we ourselves as parents are often on diets and it's like, right. yes, you can have that piece of pizza, but I'm going to restrict myself and have two carrots and a small piece of white Because fish. I'm fat, right? And then exactly. my child has heard me call myself fat. Exactly. Yes. yes. Okay. okay. Exactly. Do you think, I mean, you were talking about social media and the negative impacts of it, but I think we've started to see a lot of positive impacts. You've seen people like Ashley Graham, the plus size, mm -hmm. quote unquote, plus size model at what, like a 10 or a 12. But you've got Lizzo, right, who's mm -hmm. doing these female empowerment songs. How do you feel like pop culture and social media is impacting it in a good way? I think Lizzo's a great example. I love watching her stuff. I love watching her videos. I think um, Billie Eilish, yes. uh, who comes out and is so very forward about not dressing in ways that are provocative and being very clear that her talent has nothing to do with her body image. Mm -hmm. I think social media has the biggest power to be able to change this conversation for good, to begin to talk about what makes us as whole individuals amazing, beautiful, and fantastic and fabulous. The ability to post pictures of yourself and and have them be without the filters, without the, um, you know, all of the retouch and and stuff like that. Instagram versus reality. <laughs> exactly. Insta versus Finsta. But I think we're starting to see people become more comfortable and more forward about that. Mm -hmm. And the more that we use social to have campaigns where they show famous women without makeup on, yes. famous women who aren't retouched, you know. Or like the Dove campaign of this is real women's bodies. Exactly. Right? Yes. Those things are amazing and they empower young women and young men. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you keep saying men, which I think is really important. Do we find that women are struggling with a healthy body image more than men or are women just more vocal or are the pressures of society more focused on women? I think the pressures of society are more focused on women. I think that it's easier to target this to women, but let's think about wrestlers, right? 
young men who are in wrestling and what do they do they have to cut weight and they cut weight in very unhealthy behavioured ways, in purging ways. I was talking just last night with a, a young man who's a friend of my son's who told, told me about his journey to all of a sudden transform from 210 pounds down to 187 pounds Oof. while he was running track. And I, and I said, did you do this so that you could be better in track? And he said, well, no, I throw javelin. So we don't run when we throw oh, javelin. Right. I did this because that's what I'm supposed to do to look good. Oh my goodness. And to hear, you know, a very healthy 18-year-old boy talk about those fears, those feelings, I watch this uh, in, in kids that my kids hang out with, that really there's a lot of pressure on young men, but it's more underground, it's more in the closet, right. and it really is unhealthy. And really at that age too, they're still growing, right? Yes. Like I would imagine that doing that to your body at that point could have negative repercussions long-term. Absolutely. We know that when you start to have issues with nutrition and weight loss and things like that during puberty, you can stop puberty. You can actually stop the entire process and that impacts everything from your growth, your secondary sexual characteristic development to your hair uh, and how you know you will perform academically. We know that the nutritional deficits brought on by dieting can cause all kinds of different different stressors on your body, not the least of which are the inability to think clearly and perform academically. It can also impact your sleep, result in night sweats, result in all kinds of disruptions that just kind of lead to this cascade effect that have such, such huge negative impacts. But at the same time, for many people, you're getting that positive reinforcement. Look at you, you look great. You, mm -hmm. You've got some weight, look at you. You've, Hey, you went down a weight class. That's, that's the thing in wrestling. If I can go down a weight class, yes. I can score higher. Yes. And those types of, of really um, disrupted types of thinking are things that we have to start thinking about and changing. You know, it's interesting. I know you and I go way back, so you know I, I dropped 120 pounds. And what was interesting to me is, A, the perception. People are much nicer to me, friendlier to me. They smile at me as a, as a you know, a smaller person. But what was interesting was nobody really commented on the, the fitness side of it. Oh, hey, you're working mm -hmm. out. You're running. You're training. You, you look fit. It was always, oh, you're so much skinnier. You're, and, and it was mm -hmm. always this, I applaud you for getting skinny, not I applaud you for working on your fitness. How does that impact our psyche as people who are losing weight? That's a really great point because for a lot of people, getting healthy is what we've got to do to be able to be at our best and to stay alive and to have all of the other health impacts that go with that. But you're right. We don't talk about the fact that you're getting fit. Yeah. Oftentimes, and you know this really well, oftentimes on a journey of fitness, the numbers on the scale don't go down. That is true. Muscle weighs a lot, man. <laughs> Muscle weighs a lot. But we get fixated on the number on the scale. And that's not healthy fitness. That's going after the skinny. Yep. And that's where we've got to start to shift our thinking. Uh, I think gyms and, and personal trainers have a real opportunity to help educate the public, just like nutritionists and dietitians do, that it's really less about the numbers on the scale and more about how you feel, how you're able to, can you make it up two staircases? Right. Can you make it up three? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, at what point do you become winded? Can you pick up your kid out of the car and walk into the house or do you need to stop along the way and put them down? All of the things we need to do, that makes us fit. And that's very different than being skinny. Do you think that we can become addicted to the weight loss? Like become so focused on the fact that we need to hit that scale number that we kind of maybe go a little overboard? We see that a lot. And it's interesting to watch when people get that realization 
Uh, I watch that sometimes on Facebook. People will have that realization of, wow, I lost all of this weight and I got really skinny. But then I started working out and I got really fit. Mm -hmm. And here's the before and after of me skinny and me healthy. And and those types of, of really getting people to understand healthy women especially have curves mm -hmm. that's part of what we were designed for yeah, we got we hips <laughs> we got hips we got the uh you know all of the different pieces because that's 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 part of what we were designed for we need a certain percentage of body fat so that we can if you're a woman who's of childbearing age so that you can actually produce the things you need to produce if you're going to have children this is what our bodies were built for and made for and we need to embrace that as a society being able to look like, you know, a skinny 13-year-old boy isn't a healthy ideal. Right. Very true. Very true. Well, what are kind of the most common eating disorders when you talk about body image issues? The Really, the most common eating disorders have to do with overeating. Uh. Overeating is probably, you know, feeding our feelings. You hear people talk about feeding their feelings. Um, people who are emotional eaters, all of those different types of overeating and unhealthy patterns of eating. They can lead then to the immediate types of, I'm going to deal with this by purging. Mm -hmm. And purging mm -hmm. looks different for different people. It can be binging on that sack of chips and then uh, either vomiting or using a laxative or using diet pills or whatever to get rid of that. Or it can just simply be eating a normal meal and deciding that a normal meal was not, I was not deserving of that in my body. Um, that was, you know, too much for me and purging in that way. But that cycle of binging and purging and that cycle of overeating helps us not deal with our emotions and helps right. us not deal with what's really going on because we're really feeding our feelings and doing that in very unhealthy ways. It's very interesting. I think um, we're gonna have to take a quick break. When we come back, I wanna focus a little bit more on that because I wanna know if what you're describing there is bulimia or anorexia or what. So let's come back to that. We will take a quick break and when we do, we will come back and we will be with Doc Rob and we will still be talking about women's body image and eating disorders.
her health and we are continuing this conversation for today and we are still joined by doc rob talking about women's body image and eating disorders and right before the break doc you were talking about this kind of overeating and purging is that what most of us would consider to be bulimia yes that's what we commonly call bulimia um, it can lead into bulimia it often starts with disordered behaviors that may not meet the clinical criteria for bulimia but that's often where that ends up and that's coupled with what we call body dysmorphic disorder, where you may look in a mirror and you see yourself as being this large fat person. The rest of society looks at you and goes, wow, you're really healthy and fit. But when you look in the mirror and you see this large fat person, that's what we call dysmorphic. One of the most interesting things that that I see is, is when we have working with uh, young people or, or you know, people of any age really, we have them draw their body outline of what oh, they think their body actually looks. And then we have them lay down on it. And inevitably, what you see is that people with dysmorphic disorder see themselves as larger than they really are. And they have a hard time kind of referencing and pulling that back together to realize that, that what they're seeing isn't real. But that's part of what happens uh, with bulimia and with anorexia and with just generalized eating disorders uh, altogether. It can also happen the other way. People who are overeating can see themselves as slimmer than they are. I think that's oh, I don't think I knew that. Okay. something that we talk about very often. But uh, there can be that dysmorphia can go both ways. I think it's interesting because y- you, you had that conversation with me because I have lost a lot of weight, but I do still see a fat person in the mirror. And so mm-hmm. when I go to buy clothes, I still try to buy clothes that are way too big for me and I don't I don't understand it. And I did not understand that that really was a condition. I thought I was just weird, right? So first of all, it's okay, right? It's okay, it's okay to be that way. Um, but how do you treat something like body dysmorphia? How do you get somebody out of that? I may be asking for a personal reason. <laughs> <laughs> Part of how we treat any of these things, of course, is it starts with a visit with your your healthcare professional, and to really take a look at what's underneath this. Is it habit? Is it I've always shopped at, you know, larger women's stores, mm-hmm. so that's where I'm always going to go because I'm comfortable? Is it because I've got this mental ability that I think I don't deserve to be that weight, and therefore uh, I see the larger number sizes as, as a form of, I don't want to say punishment, but, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's what I deserve. That's what I've earned. I've not earned these clothes. But there's also when it gets clinically into that type of a dysmorphic response can also be signs of underlying depression, can be signs Mm -hmm. of underlying anxiety disorders, can be signs of of even just straight up, I need to do some time with a therapist to really work through why is it that I'm more comfortable with this coding, Mm -hmm. in essence, of an additional layer and what's that about? Why am I afraid to take that off and see myself as who I really am? A lot of that is often rooted in trauma. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's rooted in traumatic events that may have occurred in childhood. It could be intergenerational trauma of maybe you're carrying forward the, the family legacy and lore of your mm-hmm. personal story. And that's part of what you wrap yourself in so that when you look in the mirror, you're not only just seeing you, you're seeing that whole piece of trauma that you're carrying, that layer of protection in essence. A lot of work that happens in eating disorders treatment facilities is based in the family system. We know that anorexia especially is really rooted in a family dysfunction and in family, um, basically family patterns of, of interactional behaviors. What happens around the dinner table? What are the messages that you hear about mm-hmm. eating? What are the controlling things that happen within your house that may stimulate your need to control? And what is the trauma that you're trying to process through and deal with that you're wrapping yourself in this eating disorder to get away from? Well, you just mentioned anorexia and we've talked a little bit about bulimia. Are there other, well, and even body dysmorphia, but are there other types of conditions or eating disorders that people maybe aren't as familiar with? Anorexia, bulimia, overeating, binge eating, all of those types of things, um, and of course body dysmorphic disorder, all really are that general continuum. There's there's variants of, you know, what we call NOS, not, not otherwise specified. Oh, okay. um, variations where you get a mixture of anorexia and bulimia together, all of those types of different things. All those clinical terms are great, fine, and wonderful. But the bottom line at the end of the day is if you have an unhealthy relationship with food and with your body, there's probably some work you need to do. And that work, hopefully, you can start to do in a therapist's office, often very good to work with a nutritionist or a dietitian to help understand what is healthy food, what is healthy fat, how do you balance healthy food and healthy fat. I think one of the things that's happened for us in this society is we're inundated with ads for fast food every day. Oh my goodness, yes. Exactly. And for many kids, they grew up on the hamburger Happy Meal. Well, when you're five and six years old and you're burning thousands and thousands of calories all the time, eating a Happy Meal <laughs> isn't going to, you know, it's, right. it's not the worst thing in the planet. But as we age, our ability to process those foods and those nutrients through our body We don't have the ability a six-year-old did. We don't have the metabolism of an 11-year-old. And we're not as active as we were when we were 13 with PE every day and football practice. But we don't adjust our food intake and what we're eating, and we keep with this fast food culture. All of the different things that come with the order your Domino's pizza, you know. As, and, and it's cheaper too, yes. right? So you're actually getting like, here, you can get two large pizzas for $10 or yes. a salad for one person for $10. Exactly. Or or the food deserts that we often see in many of our impoverished neighborhoods yes. where your only option is the gas station yes. deli that has the deep fried delight that's been there on or the roller all, all day long. preservative foods, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So we've really got to start to flip that conversation and think differently about how we're feeding ourselves, feeding our bodies. Is it convenience food or is it stuff that's actually really nourishing our bodies? Interesting. Well, what what you're really saying is that most of these disorders and these body image issues are really mental health components to Mm -hmm. them. And I did some reading and I I saw something that said that eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any mental Mm -hmm. health condition, which was surprising to me. But why is that? Eating disorders are very insidious. When somebody's diagnosed with anorexia nervosa, um, it's a very, very intractably hard disease to treat. Um, It takes very intensive, uh, involved family systems work. It takes very intensive, uh, involved individual therapy. But it has one component that we don't think about. Nutritionally, 
people who are affected with anorexia nervosa get to a point where they actually can't function. Their body shuts down. Their body begins to shut down. And getting someone from the place where their body has begun to shut down to where they have enough nutrition in them to be able to interact therapeutically and do that work is extraordinarily difficult. Um, Some programs will use tube feeding and things like that Mm -hmm. to bring someone up to a nutritional level to where they can just begin to participate. Is, is that the same on the other end? Because I'm fascinated by my 600-pound life. But some people actually get to the point where they're overeating and they're dealing with their mental health issues to the point where the body just shuts down on that end as well. Yes. Okay. It's the same type of a process. And being able to recover your body to be able to even participate is extraordinarily difficult. It's extraordinarily labor-intensive, time-consuming. And it's not something that um, is is really well paid for by insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, working, I've seen people with anorexia nervosa who start their journey in the intensive care unit. Oh, wow. Because functionally, they are so nutritionally deprived, and it takes months and even years to recover from starvation. And is that like the first time that it's been noted for them? Often, no. 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 We so see, we, we acknowledge it. Well, right. no, we notice it. We're just not acknowledging it? We notice it. We're not acknowledging it. We talk about things like, oh, this is just part of puberty, this is part of what we're developing, this is, you know, this is part of what we just don't talk about that, you know. Oftentimes, it's it's like the family secret. Oh, this is just a phase they're going through mm-hmm. that eventually, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to grow, they'll grow out of it. It'll be okay, this is a normal part. Having a body weight, a BMI below 15% is not normal. Yeah. And those are things, especially, we see this in high-performance athletes. You hear a lot about, Um, gymnastics and ballet dancers who have eating disorders because as those types of athletes and and dancers and artists they have to keep their bodies so slim ice skaters same way they have to keep their bodies in that way that they resort to these types of disordered behaviors that eventually pathologize into something that they really can't control sure well, we've talked a lot about kind of what the disorders are, and you've mentioned a little bit about, you know, nutritionists and therapy and even food or tube feeding, but what are common treatments for an eating disorder? Common treatments for an eating disorder start with a relationship with a therapist, start with a good program, start with somebody who knows what they're doing. Uh, there are a lot of folks out there who say that they treat eating disorders, but do your homework. If you're looking for a therapist, if you think that you've got an eating disorder and you're, you're at a point where you can maintain in your home community, you've got a stable support system, interview your therapist on the phone, interview, go in for a first session and see if that connection works for you and see if they know their stuff. Um, there are also a lot of programs available. I know here at Providence St. Joseph Health, we have an adolescent and an adult partial and intensive outpatient eating disorders program that starts with an evaluation with a trained registered nurse who will look at all of the different aspects of your life, including your blood pressure. This is one of the things about these types of treatments. We know, and this goes to your earlier point about the mortality rate related to this. People with eating disorders can have very high blood pressure, can be very much at risk for a heart condition, can be very much at risk to become physically unstable very quickly. So you need somebody who's going to medically monitor you while you're in therapy. Having that partnership with nutrition and dietitians Mm -hmm. is essential. We need to relearn how to think about food. We need to relearn our relationship with the, the idea that food feeds our bodies, feeds our minds, feeds our soul, keeps us alive. It is part of who we are 
and having that relationship with food that says, I can feed and nourish myself. I deserve this treatment. I deserve this nourishment. This nourishment is part of what makes me me so that I can live my life. Well, I want to remind anyone listening that if you're in need of support, you can contact the National Eating Disorders Helpline at 1-800-931-2237. So Doc Rob, can you actually be cured of an eating disorder or is this a lifetime recovery? Cure is such an interesting word. Um, Eating disorders, much like many other mental health conditions, um, are chronic conditions that can flare up, especially when we're under stress later in our life. If we struggle with bulimia and anorexia when we were younger, you can bet that that if you get into a situation where life stressors are coming at you, um, that can trigger a relapse, and relapse is part of recovery. In fact, we don't even call it relapse anymore. We just call it recovery. Wow. Because here's what we know. This is a lifetime journey. Mm -hmm. And chronic conditions like depression, anxiety, eating disorders, all of those types of chronic conditions are something that we just learn how to manage and work with and bring them in so that they're part of us. When we begin to accept that I'm a person who lives with an eating disorder and that colors what I think about and how I do, it also makes me stronger. Mm Mm-hmm. I have experiences and nuances and ways of seeing the world. I have a lot of knowledge about food. I can guarantee you that. That is a great party trick, incidentally. (laughs) Being able to say, yeah, I know what's in that Dorito chip. Oh, I'm the worst. I travel with people and they'll start to eat something. I'll say, you know that has like 1,500 calories in it, right? Right? And they're like, way to be a buzzkill. (laughs) Exactly. You know, having that ability. Everybody's got something. Mm -hmm. And... People who are thriving and living with eating disorders aren't defined by their eating disorder. Just like we're not defined by having cancer or diabetes or anything else. Exactly. Mm. It's part of what makes us stronger. It's part of what makes us amazing. If we were to shame people for having breast cancer, imagine Mm. what a world we'd be in. So let's not shame people for having an eating disorder, for people who are overweight and learning to have a new relationship with food, for people who are living with a binge purge disorder like bulimia. These are just like cancer, and they're things that we need to wrap love around and support and care and treatment. Stigma reduction, people. You heard it right here. Well, Dr. Rob, we have time for one more question, and I think what I'd like to ask you on behalf of the listeners is, if I have somebody in my life that I think has an eating disorder or has a body image issue, how do I start that conversation for them, and what can I do to help support them? It really starts with asking the question and then being prepared to listen. I care about you, I see that you're losing weight, it's going really fast, and I'm worried. And I wanna know what I can do to support you. Um, Looking at somebody and doing that while you're eating a meal, probably not the best idea. (laughs) Choose your time, you know. But being willing to sit with someone and say, hey, you know, this is really normal, and you can get help for this, can be really helpful, but you have to be willing to listen. It's always good to come prepared with, you know, maybe we should go see your doctor. I'll come with you if you want, but let's go see your doctor. Medical professionals these days have been educated in eating disorders. They know to look for this stuff. They know that they're gonna, most people are gonna get that depression screening. We know that depression and anxiety come right alongside with an eating disorder more often than not. But that's that really first step. And sometimes it's hard to take the first step alone. Yeah. So knowing you have somebody who loves and cares about you for you, coming with you 
that can make all the difference. That's beautiful. Well, I can personally attest to, I had several people reach out to me during my fitness journey and saying, I'm really worried because you're losing weight so fast, to which I actually responded, that's hilarious because it's taken me two years. Like, it's, no, it's not fast. But I was so just grateful that they cared enough to mm -hmm. be worried about me and have the conversation, and I was able to talk to them about it. And so I do think it, it, if you are thinking about it, most people, they might be scared, they might be scared, you know, upset, but do reach out because it does mean that they're loved, and sometimes maybe they just need that. Well, thank you to our expert for joining us today and to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We look forward to future topics with more experts from Providence. Make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram and Facebook. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening. Ask